Bokertov, and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shurim on Daf Yomi. We are now in Tubot, in the ninth parak, on Daf Pezayin Amur Aleph. And we have a relatively long Mishnah, which, as we will see, is really two Mishnayot combined. Uh, and it is uh, one, the second Mishnah, which really explains the first. And we already encountered the notion of a pogemet ktubata, a woman who diminishes the payment of the ktubah. Now we'll get a full explanation as to what that means. And indeed, our Mishnah is going to give us a list of circumstances under which a woman has taken oath before collecting from her ktubah. So she can only collect if uh, she took a shvuah. We'll see what pogemet is in a minute. Let's say one witness testifies that the ktubah was already paid. Again, she must take an oath before she can collect it against the testimony of that witness. Let's say she's collecting from the heirs. Or let's say she's collecting from land that the husband sold and now is in the property of someone else. Let's say the husband is absent. He went to Medinat Hayam and divorced her and now she wants to collect her tuba. So in short, we have five cases. And that is the entire Mishnah. Five cases in which a woman must take an oath. One is pogemet. One is edachad against her. One is if she's collecting from heirs. Fourth case is if she's collecting from nechassim shuavadim. And fifth is, the, is the, if the husband is not there. Now, in the next Mishnah, we'll explicate them. Hapogemet tuvata ketzad. And how does that play out? I talked about tael of zuz. Let's say, for example, the tuva was worth a thousand. And she comes to collect it. He says, I already paid you. She agrees she got something. She says, I only got 100. She wants 900 more. Then she has to take a shvua to the effect that she did not get the rest of the 900. What's the second case? Uh, what's an example of that where there's one witness? Again, she has a thousand zoos. He says, I gave it to you. She says, I got nothing. And one witness comes and testifies on behalf of the husband that she did get the entire amount. Again, she has to take a shvua, and we will see possibly the textual base for that, uh, as it is the only pasuk on the page. What's that like? Let's say the husband sold his property to another. And now it's time, the time has come. Husband divorces her, he's got no assets, she comes to the guy who bought the property from him and wants to collect what she has the right to do, but she needs to take an oath to collect from him, to wit that she has not yet collected this ktuba. What's that case like? Let's say that he died and he left his property to his heirs. She wants to collect from them. That's very straightforward. What's the last case? He went on a journey. And now she wants to collect the She must take an oath. Now, Rishimon adds one thing in, which at the end of our Gemara, I will try to figure out what's, what he's referring to, which is, Kolzman Anytime that she's claiming her ktubah, hayoshin mashpinotah. That's when the heirs can make her take an oath. But if she does not claim the ktubah, en hayoshin mashpinotah, then the heirs cannot make her take an oath. Clearly, Rabbi Shimon's statement is attached to something. He's responding to something. What he's responding to? Is it our Mishnah? Is it a different part of our Mishnah? Is it earlier in our parak, elsewhere in Tubot, or elsewhere in Shas? We will see several different approaches. Okay, the Gemara begins by looking at the first case, which is Pogemet. Ram thought that this Shvuah that she's taking is a Shvuah de'oraita. 
Why? It's a classic case where a person is claiming a full amount and the other person is responding with a partial amount, what we call And that's a very important sugya, but if I say you owe me $100,000 and you deny the entire thing, there's no shvua. But if you say, no, I owe you $20,000, then you have to take an oath to uh, to the effect that you don't owe me the rest. Now, Ram Barchama thought that the case of Pogamit is exactly like that, because after all, the husband's cl- claim is, I don't owe you anything, and she says, yes, you owe me 900 not the full thousand, and therefore it's Modebe Miktzat, she is agreeing that part of it she got, therefore her Shvua should be Doraita, Amarava Shtei Tshuvot Padavar. Rava says it's not just not true, and I'll prove it to you two ways. Chada, first of all, classically in the Torah, anyone who takes an oath, are people who take an oath to keep money. In other words, when somebody is challenged that they owe money, and they're challenged with a witness or with a uh, with a star, the question is what's the status of the star, whatever it may be, they will take an oath in order not to pay. In this case, she is not taking an oath to keep money. She's taking an oath to extract money. So it can't be a shvu doraita. Uh, why, why do we care if it's a shvu doraita or the rabbanana? Shvu doraita is dealt with much more seriously. She holds on to a sefer Torah to tefillin, and it's b'shem. Take a look at Rashi. The second challenge is, We do not take an oath on a denial of a debt that involves karka. And after all, the shtar ktubah is associated with karka. And therefore, she does not take, uh, she would not be taking an oath mida oraita on that, right? Oaths mida oraita are generally on metaltalin. I gave you, uh, a thousand, uh, pounds of, uh, of wheat and you owe me money for it. You haven't paid me yet or whatever. I lent you money. Okay. So now, Elama Rava, Rava adjusts it and says, this shvua is not doraita, it's mida rabbanan. It's rabbinic shvua. Why? The para daik, the issue is that the one who pays it out is very careful to know how much he's paying out. The Mifralo Dyke, the one collecting, isn't necessarily so careful. So he paid her, and he's quite sure he paid her the whole amount. She says, I know I got some money. So she says, ah, I got a hundred. So the Rabbanan placed a shvu on her to make sure that she would be exacting and careful about how much she got. In other words, when she gets the money, knowing she's going to take a shvu, she'll be very careful to count what she got. And then we know that she'll be a proper accounting. As long as everybody's honest. Now, let's try this. Let's say that the hundred that she does admit she got paid was paid in front of Edim. Mahu. Do we then say that she still has to take an oath to collect another 900 or not? Imita the para, do we claim that since the guy, the husband, was careful to make sure there were Edim to pay her the hundred, he would have also gotten Edim to pay the other 900, and if he doesn't have them, we don't believe him that he, that he paid her, and therefore she still is owed the 900. Maybe the witnesses for the 100 happen to be around, so they're convenient, he called witnesses. But for the other 900, he paid her without, and perhaps she still has to take a shvua to uh, support her claim that she never got it. Toshma, how are we going to prove that? From the Torah. Anyone between the Oraita takes an oath, Nishpain Valomishalmin, as we just saw. They take an oath in order to prevent themselves from, protect themselves from having to pay, not to collect. Here is the exception. Here are the exceptions. Those who take oaths and extract money. Hasachir, somebody who is a, uh, a renter. Um, sorry, is it, who has rented. A, uh, sorry, a worker. 
somebody who has had somebody stolen from them, somebody who was battered. Something that we saw recently, if the person who's supposed to take the oath to, to prevent themselves from having to pay is not able to take an oath because we know that they lie under oath, then their opposite number takes the oath and collects. Vechenvanial Pinkaso, a storekeeper relative to his uh, checkbook that he keeps the accounts. Vapogem Shtaroshilobeidim, and somebody who admits that the star was partially paid up without aiding there. So it sounds like Pogem Shtar, like Pogem Tuba, it sounds like it's only when there were no witnesses to the partial payment, and therefore we have reason to think that the entire thing was paid without witnesses, and therefore he has to take he has to take the shvua. The implication is quite clear. It's only when there were no edim that he doesn't have to take. The, he has to take the shvua. If there were edim, he doesn't have to take it. So the answer is no. Lomi kamar. They're actually picking the more, the least obvious case. Lomi Certainly in the case where where there were edim. She certainly needs a shvua. Why? Because she doesn't have a leg to stand on, amigo, to say, I never got anything, and therefore believe me when I said I got a hundred, because as witnesses she got a hundred. Therefore she has to admit to the hundred. Therefore her claim that I never got the other nine hundred doesn't have any legs to it. Uh, however, I might think that if she comes forward and says, you have no witnesses that say that I got any of it, but I say I got a hundred, I should consider her to be basically doing the guy a favor. She's like a Meshiva Veda. Meaning, meaning she's returning something that he never had access to, returning a lost item to him. And therefore, she should be able to take the other 900 without an oath. So in other words, is the bigger Chiddush to say that even though there's no witnesses to the partial amount that he admits he got, and yet he admits he got it, he still has to take a shvua about the rest. Certainly, if that first amount was given by Edim, then almost assuredly he would have to take a shvua. Now, Ibayalahu, so we've settled that case, that Pogemet Be'edim is worse off than Shalom Be'edim, and certainly has to take a shvua for the rest. Ibayalahu, Pogemet Tubata, Pachot Pachot Mishavah Pruta. Let's say she collects a half a pruta, and then a half a pruta, each time less than a Shavah Pruta, Mahu. Should we consider that because she's being so careful to take less than a pruta each time, so at no point will it be really considered eating into the tuba? Obviously, she's being very careful, and therefore, when she says, I got 100 or 142 and 93 prutot, then, uh, then maybe we should believe her. Or perhaps the entire thing is a ruse on her part, an elaborate ruse, in order to collect more than she really deserves. So the answer is teiku. We really don't know. Ibayalu pochetet ptubata. Pochetet is a form of pogamet, but not exactly. Mahu is it the same din? Miamrin and hainu bo pogamet. Odil ma pogamet mojib miktzat halu mojib miktzat. Do we say that it's the same as pogamet, or she has to take an oath? We'll see what pochetet is in a minute. Or do we say that pogamet is a form of mojib miktzat because she admits that part of it she got? But she just says that there's more that she's owed, and therefore it's sort of a mirror image of Modem Miktzat, like we saw at the beginning, and therefore she takes an oath. Maybe Pochetet doesn't. What's Pochetet? Toshma, Pochetet tiparashelobishvua. So the answer is she doesn't eat a shvua. And Ketzad, what's Pochetet? Hatak tuba tayel of Zuz. Let's say the tuba said a thousand. And he says, I paid you the whole thing. She says, I never got anything. And by the way, the tuba is only a hundred. In other words, she's not admitting that she got anything. However, she is admitting that he owes her far less than the Ketubah says, which is the same result as Pogemet, but she's going about it a very different way. Nifrat Shalobi Then she doesn't take a Shvua. 
course she doesn't take a shvua because she, there's, there's no claim here that she got any part of it. She's not admitting to that, and therefore we can't kick in the dean of Pogemet. Now, but my Gavya, parenthetically, what's she collecting from? Because after all, according to her words, this ktuba is a lie. Because the ktuba says a thousand, but indeed she says the ktuba was only a hundred. She doesn't say she got part. So Baha'i Shtara, she collects with this star. Baha'i Shtara chaspa balmu, this star is just a piece of parchment. It's worth nothing because the words on it are clearly not true. When she says, yes, the star is true, and yes, he signed it, but he and I had a verbal agreement that even though it said a thousand to impress the relatives or for whatever reason, in reality, I would only take a ketubah of a hundred, and therefore, uh, the star itself is a valid star. You can use it for, for collecting from Nechassim and Shubadim, etc., but only a hundred. Okay, so that's the first case of Pogemet. The second case is Eidechad. Eidechad midashi pruah. Again, Savaram Shvua He again thought to say that this Shvua is Da'oraita. Dichtiv, you see in the Pasuk on the page, One witness cannot stand up for any sort of a, a, um, a criminal proceeding. And, uh, of course, that's a klal gadol, al pishnaim edim yakum davar, you need two witnesses. But the miut is the cholavon lechochatatu de kam. He cannot stand up for a criminal matter about but one witness certainly does stand to create a shvua. What's the classic case? Anywhere where two witnesses would obligate you to pay, one witness coming in the same circumstances obligates you to take a shvua. Classically, two witnesses come and say, you borrowed $100,000 from this guy, so you have to pay. One witness comes and says, you borrowed $100,000 from this guy, you have to take a shvua that you don't know it. Either that didn't happen. Or that you paid it. Now, um, good. I'm a Rav Ashtay Rav again came with two challenges, the same exact two challenges, against Rav Barchama to say that this Shua is not the Oraita. The same exact challenge. In, uh, a Shua the Oraita keeps you from having to pay. This woman, on the other hand, is taking an oath and she is exacting money, extracting money. And again, Ktubai is a Kfirai is Shibud Karkaot, and you don't take a Shvua relative to that. Rava says again, this Shvua is Midrabanan, but here you can't say it's because of the issue of key counting exactly, because that's only when there's a dispute about the amount. Here is a different reason. In order to make the Baal happy, the Baal thinks that he paid her back, and uh, he brought, brings a witness, so she takes an oath in order to sort of appease things and keep things a little bit smoother. Now, Amar of Papa. Let's say the husband's smart. What will he do in this case when he has only one witness and she's saying, in reality, he did pay her, but he has one witness and she's saying, I didn't do it, and she's going to take an oath. Um, he can bring her to do a shvua doraita, which of course will be far more severe and she'll have far more reason to be careful and not lie, and perhaps that'll scare her off and she'll admit it. What will he do? Here's what he should do. He should bring one witness and pay her the ktuba again. And according to what he's saying, we think here is reality, he paid her once. Here's what he does. He brings one witness, and in front of that one witness, pays her again. Then he brings the two witnesses together, the guy who saw him pay him the first time, and the guy who saw him pay her the second time. And then he tells them, the first time I gave it to her, that was a loan. The second one, which I now have a second witness about, uh, is, was the ktuba payment. 
course, that's not going to help at all. How do you combine these two witnesses? Each one is only one witness. This is what he said. Take the same idea, but one step further. In other words, get the original witness who saw him pay the first time, bring another witness, and in front of the two of them, pay her again, and that's the ketubah. And then he says, the first time that I paid you, that was a loan. Now, what does he have? He has two witnesses that she got to Ketubah. She's not contesting that, of course, but he wants the original payment back. And now he's got one witness that she owes him money, classic case of Eidechad Kenegda. She now has to take a de- an oath to the fact that she never received the money, and that is going to be a Shavuot Da'oraita, because now it will be over a Halva'ah, not over Shibud Karkaot. Now, Matki Floravashi, Hakati Cholomemar Shtek Tubal Tavai, so Rashi says, yeah, but she could turn around and say, you know what, my husband loved me so much, he gave me two, two boats. Two boat. the, the recent payment in front of the two witnesses was was for one ketubah, and then I, I claim he never paid me, and he wants the ketubah out of me, and so that's still going to be a shvu the Rabbanon. So what solution does he have? Elam Ravashi, hu demodalahu. What it means is that the husband calls the witnesses aside in advance and tells them what's going on so they understand that they're dealing with the halva'ah. And therefore, after he pays her the ketubah in front of the two witnesses, and now they're clear, then he comes and says, now you owe me a debt. The witnesses are aware of this, and the debt was a loan that I gave you back then, which he, of course, intended originally as payment to the ketubah. We cannot now make up a possibility that there's two ketubah, because that's unlikely. And she's not going to make that claim, because the witnesses are already aware of the earlier payment. And therefore, she now will have to take a shvua doraita, if she's telling the truth, then that's fine. If not, she'll be far more scared off. Now, right? we said that one of the oaths, one of the circumstances we have to take an oath is where the ketubah uh, money is held by a, a, a later buyer. We have a Mishnah in Shvuot. Orphans also cannot collect money without a shvuah, which it's, it's bizarre. Everything we're talking about now is about collecting from orphans. Orphans themselves can't collect ostensibly on, for a debt that their father had. Uh, their father was a creditor, except with a shvuah. Miman, now who are they taking an oath from? Milova, they're collecting from a from a debtor. Hashta Their father could take it from the debtor without a shvuah. Inu b'shvuah, how are they going to take an oath? What are they going to say? We know for a fact that our father lent you money and you never paid it back? How can they testify to that? And father could do it without an oath. Why should they be weaker? This is what it means. Heirs from heirs, which means both the creditor and the debtor died, and now the creditor's heirs are coming to the debtor's heirs. They cannot exact payment from them without an oath. Meaning they have to take an oath that we never received this uh, money. So in this first version, he says, this is only true if the Yatomim say, if the heirs say, that father told us, I lent the money, and I paid it back. Then the the debtors, yeah, heirs, can take an oath, and uh, can administer an oath, and say, uh, we believe that the father already paid it back. But if they come and say, our father told us he never borrowed money from you, then the, uh, the heirs of the creditor can't collect it even with a shvuah. Because as far as the heirs of the debtor go, father never borrowed any money. Rabba says the exact opposite. We have a general rule that when a person says, I never borrowed, what it means is I didn't pay back. If this is how it should read, 
It's only if they say, if the heirs of the debtor say, father told us he borrowed the money and he paid back. Then they have to, t- then the other, the heirs of the creditor have to take an oath that they never got the money. But if the fa- they said father told us he never borrowed this money, then the heirs of the creditor can collect without a shua. It's as if father admitted to them that he borrowed the money and never paid it back. Why kol ha'omer lo liviti, ko'omer lo parati dami, is something that we will leave for a later masachet. Good. V'nifrat shelo b'fanav. Right, the, uh, the last example uh, given in the Mishnah is that if she's collecting when he's not around. So lo tipara lo b'shua. Now, arva acha sara bira. Maseb ba'lif from Yitzchak b'antuchia. Case happened in Antioch. Hemar lo shano elik tubati shah. It's only in the case of a tuba that the beitin will go and collect from the man's estate when he's not around. Mishum China, because she has to get her ktuba, we want to make her more attractive, she can be remarried, etc. A balchov lo. But if there's a regular balchov and the husband and the, and the debtor is away, we don't collect. Even with an oath, we don't come and collect. For Avram, Rav Nachman, Afilu balchov, he said, no, even in the case of balchov, we do. That everybody's going to go and sit. And you're going to pre- people from from uh, lending. This is a very big concern. That If you make things too hard for the creditors to collect, like for instance, here you're going to say everybody is going to borrow money and then they're going to just disappear. And then the creditors can't touch them. What's going to happen? The creditors will stop lending money. And therefore we have to make a rule that even on a regular debt, not just a tuba, if the debtor is out of town, the beitin can go and collect albeit with a shvua, can collect from his estate in order to pay back the creditors so people will be ready to lend. Now, the end of the Mishnah, I have this statement by Rabbi Shimon, where he says, as long as she is claiming ketubah, the Yoshim can administer a shvua, and if not, not. Rabbi Shimon, hey, what's he referring to? So, I'm Rav Yirmiya. Ch- ch- uh, attempt number one. He says it's attached to the very end of the Mishnah that says that if she comes to collect in his absence, she needs an oath. And what do we read into that? That means if she comes to collect anything in his absence, she needs an oath. means even if she is not leaving the estate and not collecting the Ketubah, but just trying to get some money for food, which she's supposed to get on the estate, um, the husband's gone away and she's his wife, supposed to get money. Nonetheless, she has to take an oath. And Rabbi Shimon comes and says, no, it's only if she's claiming the Ketuba that they can administer an oath. If she doesn't come to collect the Ketuba, then the Yorshim cannot claim it from her. Okay, so that's take number one. In the beginning of the 13th parakel of Ketubot, we have a machlok between Hanan and the Bnei Kohanim Dolim. These were early, early Tanaim in the times of the Mikdash. A man went away and the wife wants some food. She only has to take an oath afterwards when he comes back to how much of the estate she spent on Mizonot and then they work it out. The Bnei Kohanim Gdolim disagreed. She has to take an oath beforehand and afterwards. So it's simple. Rabbi Shimon Kehanan. Rabbi Shimon says, like Hanan, that she only takes an oath at the end when they're disposing of the property and, and figuring out uh, how much is owed in either direction. Rabbanan, can they call Dolim? And the Rabbanan say, no, she has to take an oath even on the spending of the Mizonot. Now, that's very nice, except that Matki Falav Sheshit. Ha Yoshin Mashpinotam. Beitin Mashpinotam Yibayilay. 
But then Rabbi Shimon should not have said, in that case, the Yoshim administer an oath. He should have said, in that case, the Beitin administers an oath. That's because that's what happens here. El Amr of Shesha, take two. Aha, it's going on the Mishnah that we had earlier, which is Mishnah He. Hachami kever ba'alala ve'tavia. Remember the case, if she went directly from the death of her husband back to her father's house, or if she went to the husband's estate, but did not become an executrix, the, the heirs cannot be mashbiyahar. We just had this a couple of days ago. They can administer an oath about what uh, happen, will happen in the future, but not about what happened in the past. And Shimon is then commenting on that saying, He comes and disagrees and says that only if she's coming to claim her Ketubah can they administer an oath, if not, not. And that's the machloka between Abishol and Rabbanan in Gittin. If you have a, an executor appointed by the uh, the father of these uh, Yitomim, then Yishava. He has to take an oath when they come of age that he is not uh, embezzled, etc. Minu beitin lo yishava. But if, on the other hand, the beitin appoints him, he doesn't have to take an oath. Abashol omer chilufadvarim. Abashol says the opposite. Minu hu beitin yishava. If the beitin appointed him, because that's a big honor for people to be appointed by the beitin, has taken oath. Minu hu aviyotomim. But if the father appointed him, it means the father trusted him. All right, then lo yishava. He doesn't have to take an oath. Rabbi Shimon Kabashaul, so Rabbi Shimon seems to hold like Abba Shaul, that if she was made an executrix on the estate, she does not have to take an oath, only when she comes to claim the Ketubah. The Rabbanon, Karabbanon, and the Rabbanon in our Mishnah hold like the Rabbanon there, that she does have to take a Shavuah. Good, but Rabbi challenges Rav Sheshit's reading, and says, Then Rabbi Shimon's words should not be, Anytime she's, collect, she's claiming her ketubah, it should be im tovat mi baile. It should be if she comes to collect her ketubah. But until then, not. What's the kolzman part? Al-Amar Abayah, so Abayah has a different take. Take three. Aha! This goes back to Mishnah, to the uh, earlier Mishnah, Mishnah Dalit. Katavla neder ushvoa in Remember, we have that whole long Mishnah with the different formulae that excused him or disempowered him or his heirs or her heirs, etc. from a shua. The whole complicated formula that kept him and his heirs outweigh from being mashbia her or her heirs. Works. disagreed and said, If she claims her ketubah, then they can administer an oath. And they're disagreeing, the disagreement that we saw two podcasts ago, between Abashol ben Ima Miriam, who said that whatever language you write totally removes him from the Ketubah, and therefore Abishiman says, that's right, the only time that they can minister a, an oath is when she's actually claiming the Ketubah itself, but not anything else. And our Rabbanan here, who said that they can administer an oath is like the Rabbanon over there that said, etc. Matki Rapapas, Rapapa challenged Abayah's reading. He says, That works for the first half of Rabbi Shimon's formula, as long as she is claiming a ketubah. And what are you going to do about the, the other half where he says, if she is not claiming the ketubah, then they can't be mashbiyahar. That does not at all fit the uh, the case of kol neder v'chol shvua in the alaych etc. 
He says it cuts to the same Mishnah, but a little bit deeper. If you recall, in the Mishnah before that, about the Chenvani, when a man makes his wife into a storekeeper, uh, or an executrix, the Chachamim said he can be mashpia her as long as he wants, but only in that case. Rabbi said he can be mashpia her even without that, because she's always in charge of the stuff in the kitchen, etc., Rabbi Shimon comes to disagree with that entire approach with both of them and says, you can never administer an oath, no matter how much you entrusted your wife with property of the house or wherever, officially or unofficially, except for the ketubah. When she comes to claim the ketubah, then they can be mashbiyar. If not, then not. So we will continue, Ritz Hashem, in the next time with the Mishnah at the bottom of Daf Pechet Amud Bet and, uh, in, and complete the uh, Parak. Parak Chi. Everybody should have a wonderful day.